0: have a view of tradespeople or people that work in construction, I should say that, you know, they're just somebody off the street who has tools and that's really not the case. Certified tradespeople go through a lot of schooling and they have a lot of experience and they have to know a lot of different things. Um, So having that certification is just kind of something to add to their name add to their resume and it really proves that it is something legitimate and it's a real career path.
1: Our goal is to get people registered as apprentices and and, uh, through to certification and completion uh, because we feel strongly that uh, trades careers are not only viable, but extremely beneficial to not only individuals, but uh, the province as a whole. Some people have made comments that this is a, a,
2: a union uh, issue that the unions is trying for, that, that's not true. It's, it's union or non-union. We're talking about the employees and the tradespeople of British Columbia. I don't care if you're union or non-union. Everybody needs to be trained to the same standards. And if you're not to the tra- trained to the same standards, you don't get the quality tradespersons.
3: Hello, and welcome to Inside Construction, a podcast from the British Columbia Construction Association. I'm your host, Chris Acheson, and I'm also the president of BCCA. We're working for the productivity and resilience of BC's industrial, commercial, and institutional construction sector. We represent all employers, regardless of labour affiliation. We're bringing you this podcast series as part of our advocacy work, seeking to highlight the key issues affecting employers in BC's construction industry. We'll meet British Columbians who are affected by these issues professionally and personally. With their help, we'll shed some light on what's working, what isn't, and how private and public sector stakeholders can come together to ensure BC's industry has what it needs to get the job done on time, on budget, and with the world-class outcomes we all expect. Today, we're talking about the return of skilled trade certification in British Columbia. It's being introduced with 10 trades within three sectors, electrical, mechanical, and automotive. Within the electrical sector, the trades are electrician for construction, industrial electrician, and power line electrician. Within the mechanical sector, they are refrigeration and air conditioning mechanic, gas fitter A and B, steam fitter and pipe fitter, and sheet metal worker. And finally, within the automotive sector, the trades are heavy duty equipment technician, automotive technician, and auto body and collision technician. These 10 trades will be rolled out over a four year period, starting with the electrical and mechanical sectors in June of 2022. The automotive sector will follow in 2025. What this means is that people in those trades, regardless of age or experience level, must be officially certified to continue doing their job. This is going to be mandatory, and the provincial government says that this will lead to more stable jobs and higher pay. But it's a big transition for a lot of people who are already settled in the industry. We're going to hear from people who support the program, as well as from those who have some real concerns around it. First, Let's meet Rod Bianchini, Chief Strategy and Compliance Officer at the Industry Training Authority. The ITA is in charge of implementing the new certification requirements. So Rod,
1: why were these trades picked? The reason they were picked uh, from, from the, the, the working group that, that was put together a couple years back. Uh, was really for the ease of implementation a lot of those trades have are already under uh, a regulatory framework so really the transition to a skilled trades uh certification environment uh would prove uh, we felt to be uh, or the group felt to be much less uh labor intensive than than potentially some other trades coming down the road and we get to really plan out the uh the implementation in a thoughtful manner
3: Okay, and there's one question at the top of minds of many. Uh, I'm going to put it to you a little bit bluntly. Are people going to be kicked out of their jobs as a result of not being certified?
1: Yeah, and that's a really valid question and and, and one we've heard throughout our engagement. The very uh, direct answer to your blunt question is uh, there's no intention to kick anybody off a of site. Uh, We are putting together a comprehensive compliance team uh, to address uh, skilled trade certification in a model that uh, emphasizes education to compliance. Our goal is to get people registered as apprentices and and, uh, through to certification and completion, uh, because we feel strongly that the trades careers are uh, not only viable, but extremely um, beneficial to not only individuals, but uh, the province as a whole. Great. And,
3: what are some of the plans in place to support uncertified workers through to completion?
1: Uh, we have a team of 20 advisors on the ground that uh, provide coaching, direction, information to apprentices and sponsors. And that's, that's their, uh, their main focus. And really to support people through that apprenticeship journey, because we know perfectly well, uh, we can look at an apprenticeship journey on paper uh, and and every, everything looks the same for everybody. But we know individuals have, have lives, uh, individuals have um, situations that happen to them uh, during their apprenticeship that need p- potentially uh, some special consideration and support. So some specifics around, for example, challenging exams, people can apply for accommodations and bring those accommodations to an advisor and work through that to help them get to the examination, writing, and certification. Advisors also are very in tune, and the organization as well, uh, very in tune with um, local resources and regional resources that they can provide for individuals uh, for extra help as well. So it's not training for training's sake. It's really about, you know, what is viable in the community, what leads to to uh, the potential, the very high potential for a permanent job in the trades, and, and really, really try to work with communities to to draft that out and and connect with uh, local training providers and, and bridge some of those discussions.
3: Prior to 2003, there were 11 compulsory trades in BC. But in 2003, the province introduced modularized training and brought in the ITA to govern the new system. To become a certified journey person under this system, workers still had to complete an apprenticeship, but there were no longer trades that only allowed certified journey people or indentured apprentices to practice. Stringent requirements were put in place to ensure that the work was done to a high standard and provide assurance that tradespeople have the knowledge and ability to do regulated work in the province. The Safety Standards Act defines the scope of regulated work within the specific certificate. Advocates of the current BC system like it because it decreases the training time requirement, making it easier to attract people to the trades. Apprentices have more flexibility in pursuing types of specialization within their trade, and employers can play a more active role in identifying the skill requirements for their apprentices. While opponents of the current BC system say that compulsory trades make the industry safer and the quality of work is higher. The most measurable impacts of the BC system have been an overall increase in the registered apprentices, but a decrease in the apprenticeship completions. Let's hear what others have to say. Monica Zwilling is the Human Resources Manager at Massey Electric. She's originally from Alberta and says that she was surprised to learn that BC doesn't have a skilled trade certification program.
0: We've already been following it. We only hire registered apprentices and we only hire certified journey people. Um, So it just kind of helps get rid of that gray zone. I have had people apply typically from smaller companies where they haven't had to follow the process of becoming certified. Um, So that will definitely help us in making sure those people are certified and it just opens up that labor pool for us. Um, I think... There'll obviously be some growing pains and some challenges along the way, but I think those will be pretty easy to overcome.
3: And what might you say to people who are considering careers in the trades or people who have been in careers in the trades for a long time but aren't interested in pursuing certification?
0: I think it's a good step for them to take in their career. um, Adds to their resume, makes them more employable, gives them more opportunities for their career path. There's a lot of benefits to it. And I think that the way that they're doing it in BC, you're going to be able to challenge exams. There's a grace period for getting your schooling done or getting your hours done or becoming registered. So the process shouldn't be too difficult. And I think the benefits outweigh the, the costs and the challenges that you'll face.
3: Even though Monica and her company are largely in favor of skilled trade certification, there were a few issues that came up in our conversation.
0: Um, so I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind, um, and we've run into this situation before is how to address people who have come from other countries who are certified in their home country as a journey person, how they can transfer that here more easily. So we've had it where we have amazing tradespeople who are really great at their jobs, um, great team players, really, really people that we want and we want to become journey people, but they go to write their tests and they go to challenge their Red Seal and they just can't pass it because of the language barrier. So the ITA currently lets you, you can bring in a translator for your test, but your translator can't have any knowledge in the field that you're going through. So they, can, they couldn't have any electrical knowledge. Um, you get a bit extra bit of extra time to write your exam with a translator. Uh, but it's it's one of those things, like if you had somebody trying to translate all this electrical terminology, it, it's pretty difficult to do that. And there's a lot of like words that they just wouldn't necessarily be able to translate properly, where we know that person knows all the terminology and they know how to work with BX or conduit or whatever it is that the test is asking for. Um, So it's just kind of a disconnect there.
3: And then there's the issue of availability and accessibility of training seats.
0: So we have had apprentices who uh, have tried to get into schooling in whatever city they live in, Victoria or Nanaimo, typically. And because the wait lists have been so long, they actually end up going elsewhere to school. I have had a few apprentices even go to Alberta where there doesn't seem to be that long of wait lists. Um, so they'll just go there for the, you know, two, three months that they need to. There is an extra cost for apprentices to do that, to travel and move and kind of uproot their lives for that time frame. Um, for us as an employer, sometimes it means they might be gone longer than others that get to do school locally. Uh, and there is a bit of a process, too, to just make sure that their schooling transfers back to the ITA from Alberta. Um, so there can be some extra paperwork there, too.
3: These are all valid concerns, ones that Rod Bianchini says the ITA
1: is aware of. You know, we've heard it called, you know, the the wave, right? Uh, and, and I think trades certification implementation uh, has, has brought that to the forefront. So we're looking at things like uh, combinations of online uh, training, you know, and the success of that. We're keeping an eye on some of the successes that happened uh, during COVID and assessing those, but also doing a lot of research on, on, on you know, what the potential could be in increased um, demand. And I think knowing that will help us uh, come to some better solutions on how we can deliver the training in a, in a, in a really effective manner. Keeping in mind that the 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 utopic state of having someone walk out their front door across the street and go to training is not what we're talking about. But we're talking about effective training that that people have access to. Can
3: we anticipate any new costs to to these new certifications, Rod?
1: In terms of costs, like we currently have an apprenticeship system. You know, when we talked about these the trades that, that I mentioned. Those trades have the fewest number of uh, uncertified people in, in them. The cost from IT point of view, that system is still going to be in place. Um, there's going to be a requirement for people to have uh, registered apprentices and certified journey people. But outside the, our system, the way it is now, there's going to be no cost to the employer uh, based on that condition of having a registered apprentice or a certified journey person.
3: So the process will largely remain the same for those employers where they will just have to uh, provide the time uh, for their apprentices to uh, attend and achieve the next level of of training that's required.
1: Uh, Yes, the process will be exactly the same as it is now. Mm -hmm. There's some myths going around that as soon as you register as an apprentice, you've got to go to technical training. I've heard that before, and I just want to make sure that people understand that the, the technical training is available to individuals within that first full year, second year, third year, wherever you may be in the journey. And it's really about a collaborative discussion with the employer on, on not only the best time, but of course, there's availability as a consideration as well uh, of going to technical training. This is where, you know, the, for example, the advisor team can be leveraged really, really well. You know, uh, even from an employer's point of view, to to not only get the the information on the system, but also to assist in in mapping out um, a potential pathway for, for 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 training for their apprentice. And uh, we, you know, we're going to work hard to make that uh, one of the considerations when when skill trade certification comes in, and really, you know, increase the activity of the advisors on the ground.
3: Uh, that's great to hear. And you know, just just as a reminder that there, you know about 90% of the companies in the construction industry have fewer than 20 employees and anytime one of those employees is off to take that necessary technical training you know it it creates a a gap in the operations of 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 those employers where they're uh, you know as we know they're very busy and trying to uh continue to bid on and complete the work that they've secured so um, you know, maybe explain that process, how the engagement with those apprenticeship advisors can work uh, uh, towards the benefit of the employers if they have that type of engagement, and then how it could uh, affect that uh, opportunity for an individual to receive training that works
1: for everybody. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think by engaging advisors uh, or our customer experience team early, we're able to provide employers and apprentices with a real roadmap for their training, you know, uh, expectations for year one, we could give the employer, uh, uh, some tremendous resources and guide them to, to some great resources on our website, like like the, um, the the record books that show exactly, you know, what the expectations is for an apprentice in year one uh, to help with their training and, and any gaps potentially. We can provide them with a direct link and direct information on the available training and what it means to go to uh, even institutions outside of maybe their caption area and, and potentially how how less of a burden that could be than, than, than anecdotally predicted. So those are that that information piece, Chris, as I think is, is vital. Um, we know employers do a tremendous job of training on the job. Um, but I think one of the things that we can do uh, from an ITA perspective as well, better, to be honest, is really provide that initial information and say, hey, here's your roadmap, not only from an apprentice's point of view, but from an employer's point of view. And I'll end it by saying, and we're here to, to assist with that.
3: Don Whiteman is the founder and president of Professional Mechanical Limited and says this legislation is long overdue.
2: It it is absolute 100% imperative that we train all of our tradespeople in British Columbia in all aspects, electrical, mechanical, heavy-duty mechanics, automotive mechanics, everybody, plumbing. It is imperative they're put through a stringent government program, as I was several times in my life.
3: It's clear that Don is passionate about this subject. That passion comes from his own experience as a tradesperson.
2: Well, so I I graduated high school in 1980. And when I got out of high school, within weeks, I had started an apprenticeship as a heavy-duty mechanic. I worked for a very large construction company, one of the oldest construction companies in Canada, which is gone now, called Dominion Bridge. And I was put through, at the time, the standard British Columbia training process, and because of that, I'm a highly skilled tradesperson, which is sought after for British Columbia. And it, it, it's slowly come apart over the last 20 years, and the people don't get the training that we get today, or that I used to get in the old days.
3: So in in what we're seeing with the skilled trade certification here in BC, uh, you also know that we're facing a skilled worker shortage. How do you think this movement towards skilled trade certification will help improve worker retention and attraction to the trades?
2: So there are some companies out there in all trades, not just in the mechanical or or electrical industry, but in all trades that will put people to work and they will put them to work and teach them specific tasks and then never train them after that. So they never get proper training, say if it was an automotive mechanic, he gets stuck on transmissions and he never does anything else. So then he doesn't get put through the government apprenticeship program. And so technically he's, well, he's not certified. And so because of that, he's limited in what he does. So if he quits or loses his job, becomes virtually unemployable. Whereas if you're put through a stringent government red seal interprovincial program, like I was What you get out of that is the best of the training that there is. You're signed off by the government. It's important that the government oversees this and not just the company you're employed by, because I may have a different standard than one of my competitors. So we need to be all under the same standard. And we need to be under that government standard and those employees or those trade persons need to achieve this, the, the minimum standards that the government wants. And then in the future, that 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 person becomes completely total transferable between different jobs.
3: Now, have you ever had an employee come to PML who you expect to have the knowledge of the trade because of their years of service, but instead you need to invest in training or send them away to get the training because they didn't get it from their previous employer?
2: Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Yeah, it just so an apprenticeship. So when you start an apprenticeship, uh, you start uh, at fifty percent of the price of a uh, a journeyman red shield uh, tradesman. So because of that, uh, there a lot of times companies use early. Apprentices as cheap labor and they carry pipe around job sites, they clean up, they move boxes, they move material and uh, they don't get the training that they're supposed to get. When I was a heavy duty mechanic in 80 to 86, uh, the uh, union representative and the government representative would come in and ensure that I was being trained on specific tasks. And that's not being done. So what happens is apprentices get used as cheap labor to move material around. And they miss the first couple of years of their apprenticeship training, which is the the grounding of getting them started. And so when they miss this training then as their wage starts to increase, their wage increases about, I forget the exact percentage, 10% every six months. So when they become a second year or a third year, now they're starting to get expensive. They don't know anything. Companies will then drop them, and then other companies pick them up and are unskilled.
3: So the important piece of this is that, that certainty that the on on-the-job training and is is being managed and the, that there is a compliance to that piece.
2: Correct, yeah, there has to be somebody overseeing this. There has to be somebody that shows up on these job sites of these companies. And and some people have made comments that this is a, a, a union issue that the unions are trying to, that, that's not true, it's, it's union or non-union. We're talking about the employees and the tradespeople of British Columbia. I don't care if you're union or non-union, everybody needs to be trained to the same standards. And if you're not to the tra- trained to the same standards, you don't get the quality tradespersons. Employers are the ones that have a duty to accommodate these workers to make sure that they're trained properly. The government has a duty to check up on the employers to make sure they're following those standards.
3: I asked Rod Bianchini from the ITA what he might say to British Columbians who may now be a bit fearful with the impression that there are thousands of rogue tradespeople out there who aren't properly trained or certified for the work that they do.
1: Skilled trade certification is, if I were to speak to, to the province, is, is one step forward to validating uh, those careers and assuring that training is happening um, within those trades that are, selected, or are initially selected at least. And that there isn't going to be a support network within that system and there's also going to be a monitoring. Um, you know, I'm, I've been tasked to, to set up a compliance team that that will be, um, you know, providing that monitoring and and the reassurance that, um, you know, we're, we're going to be out there under skill trade certification umbrella to make sure that we we ask the questions that if you're not certified, how did you get here? Um, what can we do to get you on the uh, road to compliance and also you know, hold employers accountable if, if that's not the case.
3: Do you have any sense of what other trades will be considered in the future and what might be some of the challenges with other trades that aren't currently being uh, put forward?
1: Yeah, I don't have a sense of what other trades uh, would be considered at this time. Uh, clearly, you know, we're, we're in the initial steps of getting the legislation written. We have to set up uh, some really fundamental aspects of the support mechanism around that legislation, like a mechanism so that industry has input. Uh, all of those pieces need to be in place uh, before we, we start to consider other trades. Uh, But really, any consideration of any new trades coming under the umbrella of skilled trade certification would be as a result of the mechanism that's set up within the legislation, Chris. So there is fully intend to have uh, a method to consider new trades and really have that that ability to to review as we go Um, in terms of any challenges uh, to that process. You know, hard to hard to really pin some of those down. But generally speaking, is I go back to the intent of skilled trade certification. If a trade is put forward with the intent that is meant by skilled trade certification, in terms of you know, skilling people up through an apprenticeship program to completion to provide those uh, necessary and highly skilled workers, uh, that's going to be one of the you know one of the considerations for sure.
3: There are still many unknowns for the future of this legislation including how exactly the new requirements will be enforced and when or even if new trades will be added to the list, but Rod said his organization is there
1: to support and answer questions. I encourage anyone to, to provide feedback and, and input in any way they can based on our, uh, our website. We got our advisors on, on, on the ground. They're all listed on our website. We have our customer experience team um, and uh, my email box as well. Uh, I'm very keen on, on, on receiving feedback uh, and uh, really trying to understand you know this, some of the major issues that that are that are really a top of mind for for employers and sponsors especially
3: bcca strongly supports training and has always been a proponent of apprenticeship our members hire and train apprentices and we operate some of the most innovative and far-reaching workforce development initiatives in canada we know that the right training is essential for safety and career advancement However, adding new potential barriers by mandating skilled trade certification doesn't come without a caution from industry and BC's economy as a whole. And here's why. BC's construction industry is already facing a skill shortage of at least 11,000 workers. Unemployment in the province is at generational lows in construction and most other industries. Job seekers have many options, and we're competing with all of them. The majority of BC's construction employers, up to 80%, have 10 employees or less limiting their operational capacity to participate in the apprenticeship system. Most level one to four training programs for apprenticeable trades are already operating at near or full capacity. Wait lists for these programs already can be as long as a year, and there is no measurable difference in safety outcomes between provinces with compulsory trades and those without it. All that said, these first trades were chosen by the government to cause as little disruption as possible. And BCCA is here to support this transition and do everything in our power to make it work for industry, including participating in the industry and government working groups. Get in touch if you have any feedback you'd like to ensure makes it to those in charge. BCCA's Workforce Development Program staff are fully briefed on the new regulations. Employers who are seeking talent can always connect with our Skilled Trades Employment Program for no-cost assistance in finding workers and navigating the apprenticeship system. If you'd like to get in touch, visit our website, www.bccassn.com, where you'll find out more information about Skilled Trades Certification in our Industry Priorities section. That's all for this episode of Inside Construction. But let me leave you with this. Next time you're walking down the street, take a look around you at the built environment that you rely on for everything you do. Take a minute to think about the contractors and the complex ecosystem that's required to build it, to appreciate the skill and efforts of the tradespeople to recognize their professions and their livelihoods. They put their all into it, maybe more than you've ever realized before. Together, let's build a construction industry that works for everyone. Thank you for listening and tune in again to get inside construction.